Are you all tucked up, 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 up in bed? Have you got your warm jug of cocoa by your side? Good, good. It's time to hug your pillow. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the pillow, the pillow hugger. Hello and welcome. My name is Rob Vanston and I am the creator of The Pillow Hugger. Today we start a story called His Arms Resistant. A story about a couple who move into their new flat and purchase a painting to decorate the walls only to find they get more than they bargain for. So please grab that pillow, hug it tightly and enjoy part one of His Arms Resistant. His Arms Resistem, Part 1, written by Rob Vanston, narrated by Rob Vanston. Moving day had started early, 6am early. I got up, got washed, got dressed and headed downstairs to the bathroom, navigating my way around all the scattered boxes. The day was bright, I remember it well as I had to let Bowie and Patty out into the garden. The early morning sunshine started to peek through the trees at the end of the lawn, bright rays forcing their way through the leaves and branches. Bowie had his morning toilet and came rushing back in. I guess he thought his throat had been cut off from his stomach as he headed to his empty dog bowl. We had got him from Brighton as a rescue dog. He looked a bit like the Dog's Trust logo, but with a reddish streak down the right side of his muzzle, which made him look a little bit like Ziggy Stardust. He was a constantly happy dog. Patty was still outside looking for the perfect spot to do a poo. Everything must be in the right conditions for her. Very fussy, very bossy. Well, she's a chihuahua after all. My wife Angela had got up also and headed towards the downstairs bathroom, slowly dragging herself past me like a George Romero zombie. She groaned something inaudible and pecked me on the cheek before she disappeared into the bathroom. It took two hours for us to finish boxing up any items left about the house when the removal men rang up telling us they couldn't get to us on time as the main road the sat-nav had sent them down had a low bridge, and that the infernal device had sent them down a road which goes around more houses and further away from ours. Anne started to get stressed, which then got me stressed. Her face reddened, matching her fiery red hair. This made her aqua green eyes piercingly angry. When I look back now, it was evident that this was the first sign that things were not to be. The dogs, however, lay down calmly on the guardian patio, watching us both frantically packing and arguing most of the morning. The removal men finally got to us and we started packing all our belongings and endless cardboard boxes into the back of the looting truck. Boxes, beds, TV, white goods, more boxes, crockery, books, Angie's easel, paints and a ton of the usual stuff that everyone hoards. We packed our car with our essentials, lunch, flask of coffee, mugs, chargers, jackets and personal stuff we wouldn't trust in the care of anyone else. Oh, and the dogs. Couldn't forget the dogs. I began to wonder if Bowie would remember his old home. After all, it was Brighton we were moving to. The decision to move was an easy one. We had wanted to move here for ages and decided that it would be best for two reasons. Firstly, it would be closer to Angie's daughter Lauren, who had lived in Hope for the past eight years after she had finished university and ended up staying permanently, opening a nail salon under a shop called Porter in Bond Street. And secondly, any day off from work I would get would be like a mini holiday by the beach. 
it took us almost another two hours to get completely packed and ready to roll. Satnav programmed to avoid all the major motorways with one planned loo break. Dogs settled on the back seat, water and oil filled up, tires pumped up with air, fast food coffee, lunch and nibbles at the ready, and one long Spotify playlist, with David Bowie and Patti Smith peppered amongst the jam, Metallica Queen and the odd one hit wonder. Ange protested about Metallica's The Call of Cthulhu, saying you couldn't sing along to it. I agree, but turned it up anyway. The journey was long and uneventful. No traffic problems and no breakdowns, which was both a godsend and utterly boring. As we came off the A27 and drove into Hove, the first glimpse of the sea assaulted our eyes. The glittering sun pockmarked the water expanse that the stilted wind farm had sat upon in the horizon. We always thought that that would be an eyesore, but to be honest, we kind of loved seeing it that day. We only ever saw wind turbines in farm fields back in Nebworth, and even then they were solitary. Here they were almost their own army, guarding Brighton for nuclear energy. Ange then drove straight for the seafront and turned left onto what we now know as the Kingsway. It was, at that moment, a putrid smell from the backseat of the car drifted towards our noses. One of the dogs had farted. After waiting round for the removal men to get to our new flat in 4th Avenue, we started to unpack the Luton truck. The old Victorian house had been separated into 11 apartments, two in the basement, three on the ground, two on the first floor and two on the top floor. Ours was on the second floor and at the front, so at least we had a sea view. It took us four hours in endless trips up five flights of steps to get the job done. It wasn't a big flat, but it did have two bedrooms. The entrance led into a small hallway which stopped at a tiny kitchen to the left and the master bedroom to the right. The living room was the first room on the right, which was spacious and could fit a three-seater sofa. The second bedroom, which was to be my office, could fit a single bed and was next to the living room. The bathroom was opposite that. The fridge was the trickiest thing to get into the flat. The removal men had to remove two doors, the entrance one and the kitchen one, to get the great beast in. We didn't put the kitchen door back on its hinges as you wouldn't have gotten back into the kitchen. Thankfully, our new landlady was fine with this and we continued late into the evening emptying the truck of all our possessions. I didn't put the bed together, couldn't find the bloody bolts. I was so sure that I had packed them in a brown envelope and placed it in my toolbox. We had to slam it on the floor in the end. Luckily, Ange had the foresight to pack the duvet in the car so we didn't spend the time hunting endlessly through box after box trying to find the right one which they were in. We sat down in the living room late that evening, looking and feeling tired. The TV was set up and already on BBC One. Priorities, right? We then ordered a couple of pleasantly nice pizzas from Deliveroo as Ange couldn't be bothered to locate all the cooking utensils and sunk into a soft sofa drinking some beers. I'll never forget our first impressions of Brighton and Hove that day. Steps. Loads of steps, and a dazzling view of the wind farm and one even dog farm. The next day we started to unpack all the boxes. I was in the bedroom hoping to find the missing bolts of the bed. Still no sign. Andrew's in the kitchen organising all the utensils, crockery and other cooking implements as she didn't trust my organisational skills. It wasn't long before I decided to take the dogs out for a walk. Unpacking your entire life out of cardboard boxes can be overwhelming and you soon realise that half the shit you packed could have been chucked out or given away to charity. In fact, the shit that we got down from our old loft we never used again. Goes to show that if you stored countless artefacts in a loft, you definitely don't need them. We all enjoyed the short walk along the promenade and public lawns. When we got back, Ange wanted to go into town to look for something new to decorate our bare walls. So, we headed to the famed lanes. Lauren, Angie's daughter, had already warned me about a shop called Snoopers Paradise and said that we would never come out of that shop for days. She was right. 
We went in and we were gobsmacked. It was like a modern day Aladdin's cave, full of any old shit. That should you want it, you could probably find it. Comics, toy cars, books, DVDs, VHS, Betamax, old photos, vintage clothing, paintings, records, posters, movie memorabilia, swords, wigs, old furniture and more fucking books. Pretty good place if you're after a Batman comic from the last century. We proved Lauren wrong and came out with absolutely nothing. Our brains were numbed, we needed air. We then decided that we should take a trip to nearby Lewis, a town which I was due to start working in the following week. The next day we set off for Lewis, a quirky town not more than 10 miles from Brighton on the A27. The tiny town centre was home to a few local shops, mostly antique sellers, and had all the other generic high street names too. The cold start to the day didn't put off the counter's shoppers though. We walked across the the neat stop outside a large shop with a huge grey sign with the words A. Parson and Son Antiques, established 1885 written on it. A large bay window filled with an array of small trinkets on a big wooden table greeted us. I think there was a telescope somewhere in there too, but I couldn't be sure. The battleship grey exterior of the shop complemented the gold lining around the sign above the shop window. My gaze was slowly drawn to the back of the shop. The urge to go inside felt electric, like tentacles reaching out to me. Everything around me was insignificant. I had only the compulsion to go inside. A ripple of something ran up my back. It felt like some unknown force was willing me to do something that I couldn't control. Like some dark energy was sucking me into some cosmic black hole. Was it fear? Excitement? Ange looked at me with concern and asked, Are you alright? You look pale. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, I think so, I replied. And that's when I saw the damned painting through the window. hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode of the pillow hugger podcast if you want more of this you only have to wait one more week this podcast was written and produced by rob vanston me the theme tune was composed by jack mayhew with additional music from the website slipstream and the artwork for the podcast was designed by connor griffin all their details are available on the website so check them out this podcast is released under a creative commons attribution non-commercial non-derivative 4.0 license which means you can't chop it, mix it, alter it, regurgitate it or sell it, but it does mean you can share the love for free with every living species in the known universe. Head to creativecommons.org for more details. You can put that pillow down now. <laughs>